0: I think modeling is huge, and especially, you know, in the teaching world, in the homeschooling world, because once they see you do it, it's not so scary for them to do it.
1: Welcome to Charlotte Mason Says. I'm John Schindel, here with my wife, Crystal. Join us as we read and discuss the home education series. Hey everyone, for the next two episodes, we're going to be joined by Ella from at SchoolhouseGrace on Instagram to talk about recitation this episode and reading for older children in the next. Recently, she's been researching the topic of recitation, so it was a lot of fun to pick her brain and really just scratch the surface of what this can bring to our own homeschool. We had a lot of fun recording this with her, so let's dive in.
2: So, I don't, I don't know you. Can I, I'm Crystal. Um, and
0: can I ask how you came to find Charlotte Mason? Absolutely. Um, so we are just finishing up our fourth year of homeschooling. So, um, our boys, our three boys were attending a classical charter school prior to our homeschooling decision. And we, um, when we made the decision to homeschool, we just kind of went with what our current friends were using to homeschool. And that was a very um, much kind of well-trained mind approach. And so I had written or I had read that book um, and decided to school my children in that way. And especially they came out of a classical charter school. So it made sense to kind of continue with that neoclassical approach. And then um, a couple years, so our second year into homeschooling, I had a dear friend that kind of planted the Charlotte Mason word in my mind. And Mm -hmm. I'm a researcher,
3: so (laughs) I was
0: really curious, like, what am I missing out, you know? And so she um, said, oh, you should check out Ambleside Online. They have really good books on their reading list. And so... I went on there thinking, oh, this must be a great uh, book list for my children. And I got pulled into <laughs> reading their entire website and reading the frequently asked questions and really questioning if what I was you know, doing was the right thing because this just sounded so rich and wonderful and deep and something that I really rested well with me. And um, it was so new to me and exciting. So then our third year, we kind of kept with our co-op that was doing more of the classical approach, but we went full-blown Ambleside side at home. And we just had such a beautiful year. And my children just flourished. And it was such a great third year of homeschooling. And then, so this is our second year of using that approach, and I have read home education while well, I'm going through it. My second time through now, I've read philosophy education because I kind of thought, well, my high, you know, my almost high schooler boy who's 14 now, you know, I need to also see what's the right thing to do for him, and yeah. obviously home education is for the younger years. So I kind of went back and forth between the two books, just trying to. Get as much information in as I could, so that I had a good understanding of the philosophy, so that I could implant it in my own home. Well, and let let me
2: back up real quick. So you started Ambleside about two years ago. So that means you had a newborn at home. Yeah, and that's I applaud
0: you. That's amazing. <laughs> that's yes. Uh, so when I was pregnant with my now two year old, I I was in bed rest quite a bit because of pregnancy reasons. And so I just read and read and read. That's all I
3: did.
2: Gotcha.
0: Lots of research. Yeah. So it was kind of a bittersweet time. It was a time of not feeling well, but also a time of having the freedom to read as much as I could and just to take in. So that was, you know, a blessing. My youngest one at that time was almost six. So it gave me, you know, lots of time to just kind of have them do independent stuff and for me to research what I was really, um, curious about. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. So then when my little one was born, that was when we started our year. Um, she was born in the spring. So then of course she had been four to five months, which is still a busy time. Still busy, but,
1: (laughs) but you're starting to, to come up with a schedule and sleeping is a bit more normal at that point.
0: Yes. Yeah. And so then one other thing that was a huge, played a huge impact on my understanding of the philosophy were, um, all the delectable education podcasts. Mm -hmm. I also, I think I listened to like one a day. (laughs) Oh yeah. It was information overload, but I, I kind of thrive off of that. So that worked for me.
1: Well, and they're, they're a really good show. I I haven't listened to as many as I know Crystal has, but
0: I've, I've listened
2: to a lot. I, I, you know, I binge on it more than anything. I, so I listen to like up to where I was, and this was a good year ago now. So up to where it was. And I was like, okay, now I am just so crammed with all of this information. I need to, I need to take
0: a break.
1: <laughs> Let it rest.
2: <laughs> Walk away slowly.
0: I felt the same way because I just, I engulfed so much of it. And I tried to, you know, store it all in my brain thinking this is all so beautiful. But I think, I maybe you can relate to this too. And maybe so many others that, You really have to do, you know, one thing really well before you can move on to the next thing to do really well. So with, you know, the the flexible education as well as side, I kind of felt like I needed to master one way of, let's say, literature Mm -hmm. or narrations before I could go into nature journals or before Mm -hmm. I could enter the world of brush drawing, you know, or Plutarch or so on. So I think, um, actually, I believe... A good friend of mine had mentioned to me something that she had learned from Nancy Kelly, who was another um, just inspiring Charlotte Mason mom and educator that you have to kind of keep scaling back until you have peace and rest in your home. And so, you know, I took that and I just kind of started to implement the basics of the Charlotte Mason philosophy, which is, you know, getting narration down and, um, teaching the children how to narrate and giving them lots of examples by modeling narration to them and just giving them, you know, different options of ways they could narrate, whether that just be straight telling me um or maybe acting it out or drawing it. So we started with that. And then as we got comfortable with that, we added a nature study and we, you know, began to add pieces here and there. And then this fall, actually, I opened up a Charlotte Mason co-op. And so I direct a Charlotte Mason co-op here locally. And we have nine families and I think 21 students that are ages six to 12. So then that gave us the opportunity to begin real Shakespeare plays and to Mm. do that in a group setting. And to finally, you know, tackle Plutarch, which was so daunting to me before, but (laughs) And at co-op setting, it just seemed like we had so much support, you know, and then also brush drawing. And so in paper sloyd, you know, all these wonderful things that are a part of a Charlotte Mason education, but do have to kind of come in one piece at a time. Otherwise, I can totally understand how it can be very overwhelming to someone brand new and thinking, oh, my, I have to do, you know, all of these 15 lessons in a week. (laughs) And what does that look like? You know, so. Well,
2: and that exactly reminds me of what she's talking about as she learned, as you learn habits, where you work on one habit at a time and while you, you, you get that down and then you add the next one and you get that one down and you're still working on the other ones, but you, you work on new one, one at a time.
0: Exactly. That's yeah. Perfectly perfect comparison. So just, yes. Mastering one lesson at a time and just, you know, keeping it there you know, if it seems overwhelming to do more. So Mm -hmm. I had recently posted on my Instagram account, I try to kind of keep a Charlotte Mason inspired account, even nature journaling, when we first began nature journaling, right away, I had started researching, well, how would Charlotte Mason have done this? And so she did dry brushing, and they nature journaled in the field, Mm -hmm. and um, all these things. And so of course, what do I do? I make sure I have the right paper. I make sure I have the right watercolor and all these wonderful <laughs> things. And then it becomes so daunting. And the children are just so overwhelmed because it's a new type of a lesson. And we struggled. We struggled for a while, just lots of tears, lots of frustration, trying to understand how to use this medium. We're not a very artistic family, but we had to let it go. We had to let go of nature journaling until about almost two years now. So actually I had started doing this even before I, you know, did the whole, you know, went full-blown Charlotte Mason, but as we brought it back, I kind of said, just use whatever art medium you're comfortable with and Mm. let's not have all these high expectations because (laughs) I think behind it, what's important is that you have the right philosophy and not so much the exact materials or even it's okay to come back to the home and, and draw it versus, you know, observing it on the mm-hmm. scene because that yeah. can get kind of, you know, hard as a homeschooling family. If you have the little kids, you know, you're trying to make sure they're okay and yeah. guide the other ones yeah. who are trying yeah. to draw them have no idea what.
3: <laughs> yeah. So yep.
0: One thing at a time. So how have your kids done, especially the
2: older ones moving into especially narration and the way that a charlotte mason education is different than the neoclassical form how have they done with that transition
0: i would say they have done fairly well i think because they had attended a charter school before and so rigorous academics wasn't a new thing to them it was a different it was a switch it was a mind you know a mindset switch from doing busy work worksheets answering questions to now pulling information out of their you know, mind and telling me what it was that they deemed was important to, you know, from that lesson. And so I think in the beginning, I think it was normal to have a, you know, moments of, I have no idea what you read. You know? <laughs> and just, you know, just this kind of overwhelming um, feeling of what do you mean you want me to tell you, you know, can't you ask me a question, I'll be happy to answer it. <laughs> you know, and so it did take probably a few months of switching gears. And I had read that that was normal. So thankfully, mm-hmm. I had read that, because then I could give my children lots of great and just kind of be like, okay, and then I did a lot of modeling, probably the first month, I modeled a lot, like we would read an Aesop fable. And I would say, Okay, listen to me give you a narration. This is something that I expect you to do in the future. But right now, just listen to me do it.
3: Mm.
0: And I think modeling is huge. And especially, you know, in the teaching world and the homeschooling world, because once they see you do it, it's not so scary for them to do it. That makes sense. Yeah. And even going back to like nature journaling, once I started doing it alongside with them, they were like, wow, mom. okay, if you can do this, then we can.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The challenge. Right.
0: Yes. Yeah. So I think modeling is huge. Um, I, I. never really tried to tell them what it was that they needed to say back to me, but just more. So here's what I remember from the story. I'm going to share that with you. Can you Mm -hmm. share with me what you remember?
1: That's a, that's a very interesting approach. I, I, I really like that because one of the, we've, we've done a little bit with our oldest and, and then we moved and, and everything's kind of been in transition for, for a while. But while we were working with him, I don't know if he ever quite understood what we were asking of him to do. And so that's, oh. I can see that being very beneficial is modeling that for mm-hmm. him and showing him, showing him what we're asking and, and that it can be accomplished and how. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could see that being very beneficial.
0: Yeah. I, I do think it, it was very helpful, especially to my middle boy who, has maybe possibly some dyslexia going on. And so it's always challenging for him to, because his mind is always in five different places at one time. And, Mm. you know, like getting that focus and that attention and it's, you know, so we've even had to do like reading a couple sentences and saying, Mm -hmm. sure, or even like jumping into little Duke, you know, first year of Charlotte Mason homeschool. (laughs) And I don't know if that's a book that you've crossed yet or not, but it's a very, yeah. it's a beautiful book. And that was his favorite book that year. But wow, was that a challenging book with, you know, a sentence lasting as long as a paragraph and you're like, All right, buddy, I'm going to read you a sentence, but it's actually a paragraph. And you're <laughs> a
1: paragraph. Wow. Yeah. Well, I can see, especially for, for him. And I think even for myself, for, for someone who is scattered like that and has a hard time focusing on a single thing, one of the habits one of the habits Charlotte Mason talked about was that habit of attention and, and giving your full attention to a thing. And, and for someone who is scattered or, or even, even ADD or, or kind of on that um, hyperactive side of things, uh, I can see a lot of benefit to the, to the idea of focusing on a single thing, listening intently and then repeating it back because it forces you to to work on that habit, mm-hmm. so that give it enough time that that becomes a habit that you can employ when you want it and when you need it. Mm-hmm. So so you're not you're not always stuck with being all over the place. You can you can you have the tools to be able to focus.
0: Yes,
2: right.
1: Well, very cool.
2: So you also mentioned that you started the co-op this year, and one of the things we're talking about is recitation in in the the chapters that we have and you said you've been researching more about specifically recitation?
0: Yes, so we do in our, in our co-op one of the moms teaches recitation alongside with picture studies kind of falls in our half hour time slot, but recitation was something that I decided to research to kind of help her establish the class and so, yeah, Charlotte Mason, she right away, when she begins to talk about recitation, calling it the children's art, she refers the reader to Mr. Arthur Burrell's recitation. And he's the one that, you know, gives it the title of the children's art. And so, like I said before, I love to research. So I had to go find out who this Mr. Arthur Burrell was. <laughs> and I come to find out <laughs> that he wrote a book called Clear Speaking and Good Reading.
3: Mm -hmm. And
0: that book I found on Google Play, maybe it's in the archives too online for free, but I found it for free online and I read it and it was very, it was very inspiring. His writing style, I would say closely is closely to Charlotte Mason's. So it's definitely, you know, writing that was, you know, a century ago or so, but very insightful information that he writes. And I just thought Charlotte Mason, she gave him a lot of credit in this chapter. So I figured, you know, let's just go straight to the source. Mm -hmm. Let's see what he's got to say. And it's, it's fascinating. I took lots of notes about what he, you know, said recitation was, but he really wanted to emphasize that, you know, recitation was, was a way that a child you know, expressed himself, and he could do it beautifully. And he talks so much about the child's voice and how as we form into adults, sometimes we lose that child's voice. And he actually wrote this one thing that I think I have, he says, most people who are said to have a bad and unpleasing voice possess a second hidden away a soft and gentle voice detected and revealed only in moments of caution or grief or intense feeling. So he kind of at the end of that book says that as we mature and sometimes we lose that beautiful arts that we have been given from the beginning, but we can find it when we are experiencing intense moments or, you know, moments of griefs and things like that. And I started pondering in that. And I thought how true, how sometimes we even notice that in different people, how their voice can shift based on their feelings or their moods. But back to the art of recitation, he goes back to, he says, you know, the art of recitation requires the preservation and careful training of that elegance of voice, which nature bestows on almost all of us. It also requires a wide acquaintance with the masterpieces of literature and he 's got very fascinating information on what to do, things like the ventilation children need to have, how they need to dress easy and comfortably with not tight clothing, huh. um, uh, drinking cold water before reciting, how doing gymnastics or other kind of physical activity to expand the lungs and all these breathing exercises and it's quite fascinating. Hmm what he has to say on it. One thing that I really like is that he also talks a lot about how no child should have to recite something that he did not understand, that children must understand the poem that they're reciting or the Bible passage, you know, or whatnot, because they had to form pictures in their mind as they were reciting. And that would help them, their memory into knowing what would come next based on, you know, the pictures that they have created in their mind.
2: I did. I didn't read through clear speaking and good reading. I did read his parents review article, the recitation, of the child's art, the children's art, and the one thing that stuck with me so far is that he said you you do not go through the entire section at one time. You know, you mm-hmm. even if it's a short one, you only do like a line or two and let them know it and understand it and get it. And it's not something you just kind of throw the whole thing at them all at once.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And he also says, and I think Charlotte Mason, you know, also acknowledges this that it's also important that when the child is given a, a recitation piece, that it becomes his and he delivers it in his own way of, you know, in his own emotions or understanding of it. And in no way should the teacher tell him how to recite this passage, you know, because the child needs to make it his own. And I think she says, on the top of page 224, she says, never is the poor teacher allowed to set a pattern. Say this as I say it. The ideas are kept well within the child's range and the expression is his own. Mm-hmm. So we're supposed to help them make sure that they understand how to pronounce the words correctly. And the, our, you know, Mr. Arthur, he goes through lots of different breathing exercises and speech exercises in his other book. Um, Not in the article, but I did read the article, too, which was quite it's a quick and fascinating read Mm -hmm. as well. But he just makes so much emphasis on make sure that you're not telling the child, you know, where to emphasize certain things and what to do. But you allow him to make that recitation to become his own.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, and back to there was somewhere where she talks about, you know, you. Oh, here it is on 224 again where you have, you know, a musical composition and then you have the musical composition with the composer's expression marks. So you allow the child to put their own expression marks on that, that piece as well. And it's not the same as the teachers and it's, it, it makes it their own.
0: Yeah. And Arthur actually goes on to say that, don't look at the grammar as far as the commas and the periods and whatnot. He says, A child should recite a passage and pause every single time he needs to make a mental image or a mental picture. And so in a sentence, there might be, you know, several subjects or depending on what they're doing. But the child should pause after each image that he creates in his mind and not paying attention to commas or semicolons or anything else and not using that as to guide his pausing. Hmm. And so that, that's kind of similar to what you just read, because again, you know, the child is 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 pausing or is making the expressions or marks where he is making those mental images of what he's seeing, instead of following what the way that the um, passage is written. So it becomes his own.
2: When I was in high school, it was my senior year, and we all had to recite a piece of of poetry. And one of the things that my teacher kept telling me is, you know, you you don't pause at the end of every line. You, you don't pause at every – and I'm like, but you pause at every comma, and there's a comma at the end of every line. I don't <laughs> get it. And honestly, I haven't gotten it until I was reading this in the article in the Parents Review because he diagrammed out where to pause, and it wasn't just at the commas. And it wasn't just at the end of the lines. It was all throughout, and I'm like, oh, so that's how I'm supposed to read it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and he, and, and, you know, back to, you know, try how it's written or imitating what the teacher will tell you. He says, learning the piece with the teacher will not do as it leads to imitation of intonation and stamps out all individuality. And I think, once again, you know, following those marks or following where, the teacher thought a pause should be made or mm-hmm. a remark should be made is not giving the child that it's not making that recitation his own and it's not individualizing it. And he goes on to say, Don't ever have the class recite it all together either, because then they just become like robots and they all do the same action and they all, you know, make the same pauses or bringing their voice up or down. And it defeats the whole purpose of recitation.
1: Right. It's not a it's not a personal expression at that point. It's just doing the same thing as everybody else. It's it's copying someone else's expression. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah.
2: How do you I guess where do you perform these as uh or have your children do it? Because I'm thinking back at this time, you know, they don't have TV, they don't have internet, they don't have all of this. Electronic external uh, entertainment that we do. And so reading stories and listening to people read out loud was a part of their entertainment. Is that something that you've incorporated either in the co op or in your home?
0: Yeah. So, um, I mean, at, at the co op, the way we do recitations is um, we are split into form one and form two. So we don't have, you know, normally all 22 students reciting at one time but our mom that teaches the class, she does begin with little short exercises, maybe a couple minutes just to kind of warm up and get their voices warmed up. And then each student is supposed to practice a piece at home and they come to class reciting it to their classmates. So we do usually have the student walk up to the music stand Mm -hmm. is what we're using. And if they haven't committed it to memory yet, then they can place their recitation piece on the music stand and read it as clearly and as beautifully as they can. Otherwise, if they have committed it to memory, then they just recite it from memory. And then afterwards, if the teacher feels comfortable with making some suggestions or maybe corrections on words that they had trouble with, then she can do so. Otherwise, uh, we just try to let the child give their recitation, you know, as well as they have done it at home. And that way, that's their way of just kind of sharing and also practicing public speaking skills. Mm -hmm. And they're not forced to come up with their own kind of show and tell things to present. But (laughs) it's basically sharing beautiful thoughts Mm -hmm. of another author, because, you know, children, they're that's, you know, we all, we know that that's how they learn is by reading beautiful works, beautiful literature, whatnot. And so I love how Charlotte Mason says the child should speak beautiful thoughts so beautifully with such delicate rendering of each nonsense meaning that he becomes to the listener, the interpreter of the author's thought. And that's what we really are trying to encourage Mm -hmm. our students. I know that I at least do in my home is, I say to them, I want you to read this poem or this hymn as you think the author would have wanted, you know, would have wanted it read or in a way that you can convey their ideas. So that he further, um, the author, Arthur, he says later on, you should do it in such a way that the listeners, they lose sight of you and are tuned in to the ideas of the author.
1: Yeah. Well, because if if we're trying to if we're trying to have our children learn to express those emotions and ideas and thoughts, then that that makes total sense to have them to have them try and get in the headspace of the author and then act it out and and perform it as as they believe the author would have intended. I I play I I play violin. I took I took lessons for a long time when I was in school and that was one of the things when you when you learn and perform music, is that you perform the music as the composer intended it to be heard. You don't, you don't take their works and change it and do something different, unless you're uh, unless that's the the reason you're you're doing that performance. But if you're if you're gonna pl- play, uh, you know, canon in D, you're gonna play canon in D the way that Pachelbel, right, the way that Pachelbel. Uh, <laughs> wanted it to be played. You're not going to change the time signature or the key or, or anything crazy. You're going to try and stick to the stick to the emotion that was, that was written at the time. So it makes perfect sense then to transition that to poetry or, or recitation of, of literary works because it's the same idea you're performing, you're performing art. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Because the, the glory is not to be given to you so much as it is to give. I mean, not so much the glory, but just to give the credit back to the author whose yeah. work you're writing.
2: It's kind of like a window, where you're, you're the the window to the art of whatever's there. Right. But you need to. You're the the conduit there.
1: Well, and the the better the conduit, or the better the clearer the window, the better the the better the performer, the better the mm-hmm. performance of the work, and the more emotion from the author comes through to the one who is experiencing it.
0: Yeah. And so we try to be careful not to, you know, we don't clap or give praise to the child after the recitation. We just allow them to recite the work and, you know, move on to the next one doing it just so that I think it's also important. I think Charlotte Mason talks a lot in her book too, that whatever it may be, that the child is doing, whether it's recitation or a handicraft or whatnot, we don't want to do it in such a way that we're giving him so much praise, but we just want them to feel good. You know, with that, yes, I've accomplished this task or I have mastered this art. Yeah. And so um, I've been in co-ops before where uh, speaking time is usually a, you know, show and tell time. And there's lots of applauses and maybe competition between who's going <laughs> to
3: um,
0: do the best thing, which I think can sometimes, you know, competition isn't always a bad, bad thing. But I think in, in this idea, you know, we're just trying to teach the children to speak eloquently to speak beautifully, to be, you know, mindful of how they are pronouncing their words, paying, yeah. you know, attention to the endings of words, not cutting them short, and, you know, committing them to memory. Um, we, like in our home, I usually will write out recitation lessons for them and that's for the term so they're reciting the same psalm the same hymn the same poem or two or a selection of a Shakespeare passage for my form 2 students and so we stick with that for the entire term mm-hmm. just because again that that's how Charlotte Mason says you know even on page 20, 225 she says half a dozen repetitions should give children possession of such poems and at first, that was kind of like you know I thought <laughs> really like that's it, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I see I see the fruit of the work. I mean, my children. It's interesting; they have different you know selections, but because they listen to the other siblings, mm-hmm. students do the other selections. They have committed those to memory without even have tried it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's something that she definitely talks about right before, right before what you were reading. She talks about how you memorize these things. And she said that she says that recitation and committing to memory are not necessarily the same thing.
2: But
0: it happens. But
1: it happens. And so when someone is reciting to you, you 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 learn you learn the words.
0: Right. Yep. Or just even listening to someone recite them. And it works.
1: (laughs) I I believe it.
2: Well, and that we we kinda do this uh in the evenings we sing through the Psalms as part of our family devotions. And we just kind of sing the same one over and over until we have it memorized. And it's not that we're specifically being like, Okay, I've gotta memorize this. It's just we just keep singing it mm-hmm. and keep singing it. And our two year old is starting to sing it along with us.
1: Well, and we found that the kids learn it really quickly. They
2: do. Much faster than John and I. So much by the time faster. we have it memorized, they have, they've had it down for like weeks.
0: <laughs> yes. And I think Charlotte Mason gives good insight on why that is. Yeah. Because on page 226, she talks about an individual who she had these powers. So she was sick and she was reading and how she could repeat it book by book after a single reading. But Mm -hmm. then later after her health returns and her mind becomes preoccupied with many interests, she finds she no longer has this astonishing power. And so I think children probably don't have as many preoccupations in their minds as we parents do. Mm -hmm. And so they are naturally able to memorize quicker, whereas sometimes I find myself, even though I'm reading through the same passage or following along my children's recitation, but Sometimes my mind tends to wander and I'm thinking, okay, well, what am I going to make for lunch or yep. what is our next? <laughs> yep. Do I that up? <laughs> and so my mind is preoccupied with other things, unfortunately, at that time. And so that recitation, even though I've read it as often as my children, has not stuck with me as quickly.
2: I, I like this next sentence. It is possible that the disengaged mind of a child. Is as free to take and as strong as to hold beautiful images clothed in beautiful words, as was this lady during her convalescence. It's just the beautiful images clothed in beautiful words.
1: Well, it goes back to what we were talking about before that uh, Arthur Burrell was talking about with having having the the picture in your mind that you're that you're describing, and have that be the what's going on in your mind during your recitation. And so I I like. I, I highlighted that too. I, I like, I like the way that she said that.
0: Yeah, I have that highlighted as well, and that really <laughs> tied in well when I read what him saying that, and I thought hmm. that makes so much sense because if you hold that beautiful image in your mind, that mem- you know that memory and the words they just flow so much easier. So yeah, I mean it. It does really work. And another thing that we do with the you know with recitation because they do memorize so many great. Great different literature works that for my older children, well, for my older one who is very well at writing, my my dyslexic one, he's, he's, you know, we're still working on his writing, but I have started having my older ones copy their recitations once they have been committed to memory into a recitation journal so they can have that record or that memory nice. of, you know, this passage that they have committed to memory. And so... I think Arthur Burrell, he mentions that he he says something like, now, if everyone recorded their recitation pieces that they've committed to memory from the ages of 12 to 18, imagine what a journal they would have Mm -hmm. full of such great thoughts and ideas. And so I find that, yeah, that's really true. and, And how, you know, just amazing that is for them to kind of later look up, look back on that and think, wow, this is all the passages I've committed to memory.
2: Where do you find those passages? Are you pulling from a certain list or just things that you want?
0: Yeah, so um, what I the way I approached it is I looked at the PNEU writings and tables. And so, for example, for Form 1, they say that um, each child should recite a poem. They should recite two hymns, a psalm, and two suitable passages from the Bible that are about, you know, six verses long. And so what I decided to do is, for example, which poem am I going to choose? Well, as a family, when we started doing Charlotte Mason, I had them each doing a different poet based on, you know, what grade they were in. Mm -hmm. And then I found that poetry was really special to me and I wanted it to become more of a family. So now we Mm -hmm. just pick a poet as a family. So right now we're just, in our term three, we're doing Rudyard Kipling, and so Mm. I had I chose a shorter poem for my younger students. I chose a longer poem for my older ones, just because I know their abilities. So I chose my poem because we did Kipling, so that's how I came about that. And then, as far as hymns, every month we do a new hymn, so it's just we just choose from that selection. For psalm, I just kind of go through the psalms that have always been important to us as a family this term we mm-hmm. we are memorizing or, you know, reciting Psalm 91, which is, you know, what a fitting time to be memorizing that <laughs> Psalm.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, <laughs> and then when I decided to choose like an Old Testament and a New Testament, we have been doing the study of Exodus all year, starting way back from term one, we've been using um, the Patterson books. And so I decided to pick a Old Testament passage that is from that time period. So we're reciting the song of Moses. Okay. And then nice. for the New Testament, I just kind of, again, just go with what is important for our family. So right now we're reciting Philippians, that passage that includes talking about meditating on things that are noble and just, yeah. and you know, all those things, because I think that's what my family needs right now. We need to mm. learn to meditate on those things. So yeah, every term I kind of take a look to see, well, what are we studying and how can I choose from those? And then Shakespeare, of course, we're doing Twelfth Night this term with our co-op. So I picked a famous Shakespeare passage from that play for them to recite. Very cool.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I, I mean, we we definitely didn't follow our normal uh, procedure, I guess, for going through these chapters, but but thank you for your insights on on recitation and.
2: But we pretty much covered recitation. I,
1: yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure we hit all the high points here. <laughs> I know we talked about most of the things that I had highlighted, so I'm glad we've got you around for this one. That was <laughs> yes. that was really cool. Thank you.
0: Yes, you're welcome. And I think you know to your listeners, if they ever feel inspired to read Arthur's book on clear speaking and good reading i think it's a you know a fabulous resource too just because it gives so many suggestions and ideas of how to help children speak clearly mm-hmm. and help them speak slowly one thing that i didn't want to skip over too is he talks the importance of learning to speak quietly and mm-hmm. um how important that is because so many times when people want to recite they feel that they need to be louder and full of this Emotion and he compares them to certain preachers that give very loud <laughs> sermons. And he says, you know, we probably would understand just as much and maybe more if you just spoke in a clear, soft voice than <laughs> yelling from, you know, <laughs> from the pulpit. Nice. So I thought that was also kind of key, a key takeaway for me, just because just having that gentle, beautiful voice is something, you know, that children are blessed with. And then sometimes we as adults tend to forget.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, and we don't have to take
2: the chance to, the opportunity to practice it. We don't be intentional with how we speak and when we need to speak, how mm-hmm. we're doing it.
1: That's true. I, I will say, so I coached basketball for a while, uh, middle school and high school ball. And it was, uh, it was I coached ho- uh, homeschool kids. And one of the things that I worked on with them was how to, was how to project and speak loudly. And so, you know, in, in that setting, it was important that you talk loud because there's a lot going on. There's a lot of noise and there's crowd and you gotta be loud. And, and if you're not loud, no one can hear you. And so it, it, again, is, it's that idea of, of having the control of your voice to, to make your voice do what you want it to do based on the situation whatever that situation is. And so I think, I think I, I, as a, as a basketball coach, I think it's very important to teach children how to modulate their voice and, and being quiet is an important thing to learn how to do. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: It's just the the opposite of what, what I needed (laughs) all of my boys to do. (laughs) So yeah, those, those life skills that you get because talking loudly is something that comes in handy as does talking quietly. Mm
0: -hmm. Agreed. Yep. All in good time.
1: Yeah. Well, any last thoughts on that chapter?
0: We probably hit all the highlights. There's so much more we can go into in depth, but (laughs) I think that's probably for another time.
1: (laughs) Probably. Probably. It'd be, you know, it'd be really interesting to do a really deep dive of all of these, of all of these lessons and, and spend a lot of time looking at the, practicality of how you would do these things in a modern setting.
2: I have a great resource for you. Yeah. A delectable education there you podcast. Go. <laughs> that is what they do. It's almost
1: like they've done that a lot.
2: <laughs> they look at they look at what Charlotte Mason did and they look at how to do it today and yeah, like like we were saying at the beginning. They're cool. they're wonderful. So
1: <laughs> Right? So to any of our listeners looking for that, go listen to uh Delectable Education.
2: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, where can people find you online? Cuz that's where I found you.
0: Yeah, um well right now my my presence has mostly been on Instagram, schoolhouse grace is the name, and it's been kind of my outlet of sharing and encouraging others in their homeschooling and Charlotte Mason journeys. Currently working on a blog but not ready to release it publicly. <laughs> so for right now, we're just going to stick to instagram and hope for those summer months of productivity Mm. on that
1: (laughs) well good luck on that
2: (laughs) (laughs) thank you well thank you so much again for for joining
0: us tonight
1: yeah this was this has been great thank you
0: you're welcome thank you for having me have a wonderful night You you too
1: thank you for listening Join the conversation with us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter.